I guess I should introduce myself and what I'm doing here. My name is Bobby Lawson, and I guess the best description of me is I'm just a vocational disciple. I am doing what God gives me an opportunity to do and being a witness for him wherever I get a chance to be a witness. And my part of this program is to speak to you about a very emotional, uh, an emotion-packed, passion-packed uh, issue that has uh, been a part of this country's uh, dialogue for a number of years now for a couple of presidencies, and that's undocumented immigration. Now, I understand that that is something that just is very polarizing. Passions run deep on this, um, and we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are on opposite ends of the opposite ends of the spectrum and and scattered all in between. So uh, it's something that we we have our work to do. Uh, my work is to to share with you uh, information that can be a blessing, uh, and your your work is to have ears to hear if what I share is from God. So you'll have to make that determination. I, I, I can tell you this, I'm gonna give you my best in this session that we have here. If I could title this lesson, uh, any title I think it is, what is the kingdom response to undocumented immigration? Now, like I said, passions run high on this and I can ask that question and you probably already can think of what your response is. What uh, some people, all of us have to do is to be able to work through that and say, let me not give a response right now. Let me open my, my mind. Let me open my, my thinking and let me hear so that we are as informed as we can be and we can make the decisions that God wants us to make. Now, I'll just tell you right off the bat, if you, if you want to pigeonhole me and where I am with undocumented, undocumented immigrants, I probably don't fit in any particular group. Um, and you'll understand it as we go along. Um, let's talk about the passion. Why is the passion there? Well, the passion is there oftentimes because of the events, the current events that are happening around us. Um, you have, uh, sometimes it's, uh, something gets hammered in a news story and and news uh the media you know we all understand that the news is projected by human beings who have their own uh angles their own feelings their own passions so they also have their own slants on how they present something or what they present for instance in july uh 2015 there was an incident involving an undocumented immigrant uh the man's name was uh Garcia Zarate. He'd been deported multiple times. He'd come back to the United States and committed several crimes, had just got out of prison. And uh, in, I believe in San Francisco, uh, he was involved in an incident where he shot and killed a young lady by the name of Kate Steinley. It was a horrible, horrible thing. And it should have never have happened. And this, this got hammered uh, in the news by some agent, some news media. And, um, and got hammered by politicians and it became a rallying cry for deporting all immigrants who are undocumented and not letting any undocumented immigrant come into this country. And there were those who, 
who joined that rally cry who are disciples of Christ. Then on the other end of the spectrum in June 2019, another horrific incident happened. Uh, there was a, a young family that was fleeing their home country of, of El Salvador. And we can all imagine, uh, you know, what would it take to get any of us to flee our home country? Uh, well, for them, it was the, the gang violence. Um, and it wasn't even safe for them. And it was a mother, it was a father and a mother and a little girl, I think a little two or three year old girl. They came to, the, they walked uh, to the border of Texas, Mexico. They tried to cross into the United States and get asylum, uh, I believe in Matamoros. When they got halfway across, they were stopped by border agents. They weren't allowed to come across. They weren't allowed to apply for asylum, so they were turned back. And the father and mother, in their desperation, decided the best thing that they could do was swim the Rio Grande River and get into the United States that way. And so the father took his little girl and tucked her under his shirt and uh, started to wade across the river and was going to swim across the river and his wife was going to follow. But the current was too strong. The wife turned back and the father and the daughter were swept away and they drowned. And then the next day there was a picture taken. Their bodies were discovered and a picture was taken. It's just a sad, sad, tragic picture of this father and this little girl face down in the water, dead on the banks of the Rio Grande. And that became a rallying cry for a lot of people that there's got to be a more passionate way for us to deal with this issue than what's happening. And there were disciples of Jesus who were in that camp also. And so you got people on all over the spectrum who are trying to figure out how do we respond to all of this that's going on? And that's our dilemma. How do we respond to the undocum undocumented immigrants who are among us and those who want to be among us? Do we respond as Americans or do we respond as disciples? And we would like to think that they're one and the same, but we, are they? Are they even compatible? Um, that's something we need to ask ourselves. Now we know that the American response uh, to uh, lots of things is not the response that God wants. It's not uh, the response of God's people. It's unholy, it's, it's wicked, it's evil, whatever terms you wanna use. We can see that in some other areas and we readily identify that. Well, what I wanna to suggest to you is that because of the significance of this, it is important for us to open up for discussion. Is the American response to undocumented immigrants the kingdom response? Are they the same and are they compatible? If they are, then we're okay. But if they're not, well, then we need to address that and we need to figure out what the kingdom response is. Because uh, we're, we say that's our identity. Well, that's we, we love God, we have passion for God, we have a passion for things that are His, and we need to make sure that we have the same passion that God has in regards to undocumented immigrants. So let's open that up for discussion here. And let me share with you, as we get into this, a little backstory on me. Back in the fall of 2010, I would tell you where I was at was if somebody was undocumented, they should not come into this country until they get documented. And to me, it was pretty simple. Romans 13, you submit to the law of the land. Um, and, you know, I knew people who had worked 
through the system to get their documentation, to be able to come to this country legally. It took them decades to do this. And my thinking was fair is fair that if they had to do all this, then other people needed to do the same thing. And so that's where I was. Then that fall, there was an event that happened. There were some uh, some coyotes, these are the smugglers uh, in Mexico who brought over some uh, undocumented immigrants into this country, into the United States. And they had them in the back of a truck and they were locked in the back of the truck. And they were running down the road in this truck, uh, taking them to whatever the next spot was going to be. And, and the heat, the, 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 the uh, not, not the, the weather, but uh, the police, the border patrol was after them. Uh, and the heat for that got so intense that these, these coyotes decided that they couldn't keep on doing this. So they, they, they pulled this they truck off the road somewhere and, and they ditched it and they left, but they left the people in the back of the truck. And so because of the, that heat weather-wise, they all died. They suffocated in the back of that truck. What a, in a horrible, horrible way to die. Well, that event happened that fall in 2010. And one Sunday night, there was a group of disciples who were meeting in my office and we were praying together. And there was one young lady who's from Puerto Rico. And so that story hit her pretty hard, those events, because she's Hispanic. They were Hispanic, even though they're from a different country. And as she began to pray, she prayed about that and she just was broken. She literally broke down and was weeping while she prayed. Now, I'm not where she is intellectually. I, I'm not in agreement with what she is, what she's thinking about these immigrants. But there was something I believe the Lord started to do that night. And he convicted me that, you know, if this is my, if this event impacted my sister so much. If I'm going to be able to serve her as a minister, I need to understand her. I need to understand what's going on with the undocumented immigration. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to relate to where she's at and be able to help her. So I began this journey and I, I already had been on this journey where I'd made a commitment. I was going to read through the Bible every year. And this was at the end of the year. And I decided, okay, this next year, when I read through the Bible, I'm going to highlight all the places that I can find in the Bible where God says something about undocumented, about immigrants or foreigners or aliens. And so that became my journey throughout that next year. But then something else also happened. Uh, I, I knew some Hispanic ministers and I asked them if they knew anybody who was undocumented. And if, if they did, could they arrange for me to be able to sit down with them and just hear their stories? And I had a couple of friends who did that. And I got to sit in the homes of these people who trusted me enough to listen to me and, and to realize I'm not going to report them. And I got to just hear their stories, which was an important part of my journey. And then there was a news story that came in the paper and it was about two Catholic nuns who uh, had a ministry to undocumented immigrants. On Tuesdays, they would go to a detention center and they would sit down with a team of people and they would uh, minister to these people who were in detention as they waited for their cases to be determined. And on Fridays, they went to a, a place where deportations took place and there they ministered to the people who brought luggage 
uh, personal items for family members or friends who are being deported. Well, I read this story and I thought, I, you know, it'd be, it'd be great to talk to these two nuns. And I got contacted the, the reporter and she got me their contact information. I called the nuns. They met with me and another friend for about an hour and they explained this to me. And I just got wrapped up in this and I, and I, and I was really convicted. And I asked these two nuns, uh, one's name was Pat, the other's name was Joanne. They're in their late seventies. I asked them, say, could I join y'all? Would you allow me to be a part of this? And they're like, oh, sure, sure. We'd love you to. And they didn't believe I would do it. Uh, the next time they were going to do this was going to be on Friday morning and Friday mornings, they showed up at like three o'clock. This is like February in the Chicago area. And they show up at three o'clock. It's dark. It's cold. They didn't think I was going to show up. Well, they were surprised when I showed up. And I was there that first morning as families came and they ministered to families. I got a chance to talk to families. Um, and it was... Uh, life-changing and that set me on a journey for the next nine years and we're on Friday mornings different times different locations I would be present when families came to say goodbye to someone they knew and loved who was being deported and I saw that whole process and how it unfolded also joined them on Tuesdays for two or three years. And I went to this detention center and I'd be there for about four or five hours. And during those four or five hours, I could talk to anywhere from four to six people, oftentimes from six different countries all over the world. Um, and I had 15 minutes just to talk with them and to find out more about them and to pray with them. So that became my journey that I was on. And I stayed on that for nine years in 2019, it became pressing to me that I needed to go to the border and see how things happened at the border, what was going on at the border. And just a really short abbreviation of a really wonderful God-filled story. I was able to do that. And uh, I was able to minister, to meet and minister to people in Texas who were undocumented and to go into Mexico and places that some would say not, were not safe. Even had elders praying I would have to go into Mexico, but I wanted to because I needed to see this. Got to go to safe houses in the middle of gang infested areas and, and, and meet with people who had made the journey from Central America and South America on their way to try to get into the United States. Also got a chance to be there on Friday nights when people were deported back into Mexico and see how they were received and see what happened then and God just opened up doors, not only for me to be there, but other Christians to be there and give them a ministry, an extended ministry on both sides of the border with uh, hearts that were tuned into what God was doing. It was, it was humbling. It was just, it was great to be a part of something God was doing and to know I was, I was where he wanted me to be. So that's just a really brief snapshot of who I am and what my journey has been for the last nine years. Uh, and there's no way to experience that, honestly, and not be impacted by it. But one of the things that I've made sure is that my guide is God. I want to be where he is. And so what I wanna do is take you into texts from the Bible that might be a guide for you also, at least give you some things that are worth praying over and considering. And 
whatever God does with this, then then whatever you allow him to do, that's between you and God. One of the texts that has stood out for me uh, actually is not a it, it's related to my childhood. It's a text, James 127. And you probably are familiar with that because in Churches of Christ, we really hammered this a lot. I heard it in teaching classes and sermons. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their time of distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. James 1.27. Now, I understand. I'm old enough, wise enough, had enough experiences to realize that even in Churches of Christ, we don't agree on everything, right? I, but one thing we all agreed on is this this text. You don't mess with widows and orphans. Now, we didn't always under, agree on how to help them, but we knew that they were important and we were supposed to take care of them based on one text. Now, what's significant about that is as I read through the Bible that year of 2011, it became very clear that there were three special groups that God cares about because they are the most vulnerable in any society. Those groups are the widows, the orphans, or your translation may say the fatherless. So the widows, the fatherless, and the immigrant, or your translation may say alien or foreigner, but it's all the same. Okay. Three groups, very special to God because they're the most vulnerable and they have no power. Uh, they have no voice, the widows, the fatherless, the immigrants. Now, there are some texts that really drove this home. I told you, you have one text in the New Testament, James 1.27, that impacted the way that we treat widows and the fatherless. There are 12 texts in the Old Testament that speak about these three groups together, the widows, the fatherless, and the immigrant. And we need to know those 12 texts. They need to have an impact on us. And we need to hear what God says. He's talking to people he pulled out of Egypt and they're going to become his nation. They're going to become his people, his representatives of who he is on this earth. His representatives on earth, his representatives on earth. That's what they're to reflect who God is. Listen to the, I'm going to, I'm going to read some of the text. Others, I'm just going to tell you where they are. So you can look for them on your own and pray over them on your own. The first I'm going to share with you is in Deuteronomy 10, verse 14 through 22. To the Lord, your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them. And he chose you their descendants above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no brides. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Your ancestors who went down into Egypt were 70 in all. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. 
So in this text, you'll read there about how God took care of the of the Israelites when they were foreigners. And he tells, tells them, now you take care of those people who are foreigners among you. Uh, so that's one of the 12 texts. A second one you can read on your own is Deuteronomy 16, 9 through 15. A third one is Deuteronomy 24, 17 through 22. The fourth one is Deuteronomy 26, 12 through 14. I'll read for you now Deuteronomy 27, verse 19. Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. Curse. Now I'm going to read for you out of Psalm uh, 94, uh, starting in verse 1, 1 through 10. Psalm 94, 1 through 10. The Lord is a God who avenges. O God who avenges, shine forth. Rise up, judge of the earth. Pay back to the proud what they deserve. How long, Lord, will the wicked, how long will the wicked be jubilant? They pour out arrogant words. All the evildoers are full of boasting. They crush your people, Lord. They oppress your inheritance. They slay the widow and the foreigner. They murder the fatherless. They say the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob takes no notice. Take notice, you senseless ones among the people. You fools, when would you become wise? Does he who fashioned the ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? Does he who disciplines nations not punish? Does he who teaches mankind lack knowledge? Again, you see these three groups put together. God looks after them and he will avenge. He will be the avenger for them against those who hurt them. Another text in Psalms is Psalm 146, 5 through 9. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. Does that sound familiar? Did Jesus read something like that out of Isaiah? The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Again, those three groups are put together. You'll see another one in uh, Jeremiah chapter 7, 1 through 8. I'm going to read for you out of Jeremiah 22, verse 1 through 5. Jeremiah 22, 1 through 5. This is what the Lord says. Go down to the palace of the king of Judah and proclaim this message there. Hear the word of the Lord to you, king of Judah. You sit on David's throne. You, your officials and your people who come through these gates. This is what the Lord says. Do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow. And do not shed innocent blood in this place. For if you are careful to carry out these commands, then kings who sit on David's throne will come through the gates of this palace, riding in chariots and on horses, accompanied by their officials and their people. But if you do not obey these commands, declares the Lord, I swear by myself that this palace will become a ruin. 
Another text you'll find is in Ezekiel uh, 22, 1 through 12. And I'm going to read for you out of Zechariah chapter 7, verse 8 through 12. And the word of the Lord came again to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. They refused to pay attention. Stubbornly, they turned their backs and covered their ears. They made their hearts as hard as flint and would not listen to the law or to the words that the Lord Almighty had sent by his spirit to the earlier prophets. So the Lord Almighty was very angry. And the 12th text you're going to see in the Old Testament is going to be Malachi 2, 17 through chapter 3, verse 5. I want to encourage you to read those texts, to pray over them, and ask yourself this question, what should we learn about a kingdom response to immigrants, to undocumented immigrants? I believe it is good for us to seek points of identity with the undocumented immigrants, not seeing them as being the other or the enemy. We need to see them the way God sees them because the Lord God takes their side and he is their avenger and we do not want to find ourselves on the wrong side of God in this now one text has shaped the way we have responded to widows orphans the fathers one text there are 12 texts that has the widows, the orphans, or the fatherless, and the alien or the foreigner all together. Should they not shape us as well? Now, you might be thinking, well, Bobby, you pulled all this stuff out of the Old Testament. What does God say about this in the New Testament? Does he say anything about this in the New Testament? And you might, say, you might say, well, you say in Romans 13, they need to obey the law. If they can't come here legally, they, don't sh they shouldn't come at all. God has a lot more to say about undocumented immigrants than just that. And then the New Testament. Let me point out some of them for you. How about Matthew 12, the text we refer to as the golden rule. He says, do others as you would have them do to you. And this sums up the law and the prophets. Now earlier he said in this Sermon on the Mount, he didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And those who are going to be his people are walking the same road Jesus walked. Jesus also in Matthew 20, in Matthew 22, 39 through 40. Well, prior to that, he said that the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And in 39 through 40, he says, the second greatest command is to love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, all the laws hang on these two laws. Everything God has taught is interpreted and read through these two laws, these two commands, loving God and loving your neighbor. So if you're going to read Romans 13 in a way where submitting to the law allows you to treat your neighbor in a way that God doesn't want you to treat your neighbor, then you're reading Romans 13 the wrong way. You're going to have to rethink Romans 13. It's interesting that in, in uh, Luke, uh, Jesus 
when he tells a story about the, uh, the Good Samaritan, it's his answer to a question, who is my neighbor? And he's speaking to an Israelite, to a Jew, and he uses a Samaritan, somebody of a different nationality, and says, that person is your neighbor. That's something that we need to remember when we think about undocumented immigrants. Who is our neighbor? And how do we love them as we love ourselves? Matthew 25, 31 through 46, the great judgment scene where Jesus, uh, the people referred to as sheep and goat, Jesus separates them on the right and the left, and the right the sheep, he invites them to his kingdom, and the left, the goats, he sends them away into eternal punishment. What's the distinguishing factor? It's not baptism, not in this parable. It's how they treated the least among them. Because how they treated the least among them is how they treated Jesus. And it's clear when you look at biblical text that in that midst of the least are the widows, the fatherless, and the foreigners. They're the most vulnerable in any society. They have no power. They have no voice. But I can take you even beyond those texts. I can take you to Luke chapter 4. And this is the text where Jesus is, is about to begin his ministry. And he goes into his hometown. As Luke tells the, the events, he goes to his hometown. And he's asked to, he goes to the synagogue on a Saturday. He's asked to read. And so the reading comes out of Isaiah. And some of it is similar to what we read in Psalms. And this is what Jesus reads. He finds a place where it says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now he read that and he sat down and he looked at the people and says, today this text has been, been fulfilled before your very eyes. Now the people get all excited about that. His hometown folks love that. They're all thrilled because they're going to get a chance to experience the blessings of the kingdom. But then Jesus in 23 says, you're going to want me to lay all this out before you right now. You want these blessings. But in verse 24, he says, I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And Elijah went to her, a foreigner, a widow and a child that's fatherless. Then he tells the story about Naaman and Elisha and how Elisha could have healed a lot of people with leprosy, but he healed a foreigner. The point being, as Jesus starts his ministry in his hometown, he tells the people that in the kingdom that he is bringing in, God still sees those three people, those three groups of people. And he cares for them and he stands with them. The widows, the fatherless, and the foreigner. Now what happens after that point? He goes and does some miracles. People of Israel get, get healed also. You know, they're important as well. So there's healings that he does for them. They get blessed in the kingdom. And then you get to chapter 6 and Jesus uh, he chooses 12 guys who are going to be his apostles. They're going to be his messengers. 
And then he speaks to them in verse 20 and following. He says to his disciples and to those 12 guys in particular, he talks to them about what it means to be in the kingdom and what the message is going to be. It's going to sound a lot like Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Then he gets chapter 7, and they go about the kingdom business. And Jesus does a miracle. There's a man who comes to him. Uh, his servant is, is sick, and he asks for Jesus to heal him because his servant's about to die. And Jesus heals that man's servant. And guess who the man is? He's a centurion. He's a foreigner. And that's followed by the story of Jesus and his disciples coming upon a funeral procession. And there's a widow who's burying her son. And she's a widow, then he's fatherless, and he raises the son back to life. So as Jesus and his apostles go about the ministry of the kingdom, one of the first things they do is take care of the widow, the fatherless, and the foreigner. seems to me that when we look at the Bible, all the way through it, God cares about those three groups of people. They're important to him. They ought to be important to us. When we ask the question, how should we respond to the undocumented immigrant among us? What is the kingdom response? I believe I'm, say, I'm safe in saying that political parties offer opposing views and alternatives, but neither one of them has shown themselves to be more concerned about, they've shown themselves to be more concerned about themselves than about the undocumented immigrant, no matter what they might say. That's not a kingdom response. It's become popular to wrap this all up in nationalism, patriotism, whatever term you want to use, but nationalism or patriotism can be a cover-up for self-centered worldview. And that's not a kingdom response. The Bible is a truer guide for disciples of Jesus when we're seeking how we should respond to undocumented immigrants. And the question we all have to answer, what is our true identity? If we decide that first and foremost, we are disciples of Jesus. And at that is what determines the way we go, that Jesus is the one who gives us our marching orders, not a political party, not a, a particular bent on nationalism or patriotism, but Jesus is the one who gives us our, our marching orders. Then we must look for ways God gives us to show his love to the undocumented immigrant. We must. If we focus on giving love to the undocumented immigrant, we might find ourselves in the middle of something that God is doing. And then we will be busy offering a kingdom response, which is going to look vastly different than what we see political parties and nations doing. We will find ourselves not only standing with the oppressed people, but more importantly, standing with God. Let me ask you this. What could God do in this world if his people were working with him? I'm, about, I'm going to draw this to a close, but let me just kind of boil this all down in, in the way I see it. 
we're in a great big mess. It's all muddled up, and sometimes we don't know which way is up and which way is down. We can be passionate one day about it, this immigration stuff, in one way, and the next day something else happened, and our passions might take us the other way. We might feel like we're just getting wrung out. But my estimation, what's really going on is Satan's having a field day. He's destroying a lot of people, breaking up families and killing innocent people who shouldn't be killed and people going through hardships they shouldn't be going through. This is all the handiwork of Satan, what we see unfolding before us. And we can get easily drawn into this where we, we address it from a, a level that's that fails to see that we tend to think we might tend to think it's just a national thing and, I, and get, don't get me wrong i believe nations have a right to secure borders i believe that now people i've served with along the way they wouldn't agree with me on that they they uh, are for open borders but i'm just not there but i also don't believe that everybody's undocumented should be kept out of this country or should be deported because I've learned too much about what's going on and what they're having to deal with. I've learned to understand the shoes that they have to walk in and they're not the shoes I want to walk in. I was given the right by God, the privilege by God to be an American citizen. I didn't earn that. I just born into it. This land is not my land. Another Old Testament text I found, and when Jesus, God said to the people of Israel, said, don't sell the land that I'm giving you, because it's not yours, it's mine. You're just foreigners on my land. And there are texts that make it clear that the whole world is God's. Psalm 24 would be one of those texts. And we're just foreigners on God's land. And what gives me the right to say that I only have the right to enjoy the privileges of this land we call the United States of America when I'm just a foreigner in it. That's a different view we got to have that's shaped by God. We're to be reflections of God to the people of this world. You're not going to see that reflection very well in a Democratic Party or a Republican Party or an Independent Party or a Greenpeace Party or whatever party it happens to be. You can't wrap yourself up in the American flag and say you're a reflection of God. That's not always the case. Who gives us our, who gives us our marching orders? It ought to be God. It ought to be Jesus. And if that's the case, then we've got to be willing to look at the text and see how does God feel about undocumented immigrants. And when we ask the question, what is the kingdom response to undocumented immigration? We're going to come up with a different answer. It's going to look like God. And we're going to respond differently. And God's going to give us an opportunity to show the world there's a different way to do this. And then we'll start beating back Satan because we'll be busy doing what God wants us to do in this big muddled mess we find ourselves in. I don't know what it is God's going to give you to do. 
I hope the text I've shared with you gave you some guidance to help you realize you're free to do that. God encourages you to find his way to respond to undocumented immigrants. He's given me an opportunity for nine years to do something that's been unique for me. It may not give you the same open doors that he gave me. But if you have the heart that God has, he'll open up doors for you. If you walk through those doors, you'll be in the middle of what God's doing. You'll be humbled by it and you'll be overjoyed by it at the same time. May God bless you. May God guide you. And thank you for your time.